Well, three months ago, Pastor Angela, Phil, and I sat in a conference room somewhere in the Bay Area, and we considered how to complete the task we'd just been given by our facilitator. And our facilitator had asked us to evaluate the vision and values of our church based on how meaningful and memorable we judged them to be. In their definition, a vision paints a verbal picture of the future, you know, what we aspire to be. And the values are descriptive of our identity, you know, who we are and how we'll make that vision a reality. And since Phil was the most recent newcomer to Cascade, Angela and I asked for his opinion while trading sideways glances because we were fairly certain that Phil had no idea what our stated vision and value statements were. And if anything, Angela and I were aware that we needed to develop these and work on new vision and value statements. And surprising us, Phil said, well, I guess I don't know what's written at the top of the church letterhead or what's on the website, but Deb and I could have told you what it was within the first five minutes of walking through the door. And I was like, wow, really? What, what are they? He continues on. He says, well, I've attended churches that are focused on teaching God's word, trying to equip Christians for, you know, to live godly lives, similar ideas. But it seemed to us that Cascade was trying to get people to represent Christ's presence to our neighbors and in our community. And I clarified saying, Cascade wants you to embody Christ's presence in the Snoqualmie Valley? Phil said, yeah, I think that's it. And I mean, that's pretty great, right? You think about it. Through faith, Christ comes to dwell in you and in me. And wherever we go, he is with us. Now, I know that God is present everywhere, right? But he also inhabits us, dwells within us in very unique and spectacular ways. And you can embody his presence in your home. You can embody his presence among your family, your friends, at your work or school, in your front yard, your neighborhood, on the trail, on the ski slopes. Wherever you are, you can embody Christ's presence to those around you. And I'm thinking, Phil, you probably just saved us like $20,000 in consulting fees right there, right? We got nailed, I mean, boom, there it is. And then he says, well, I think the values are even more meaningful and memorable. Really? What are they? And he says, well, you haven't said them in a while. And I smiled because I knew what he was going to say. I said, you, Dan, used to talk about people being who are generous, joyful, and just. And those really stuck with Deb and I. They're both meaningful and memorable. And so Angela, Phil, and I agreed that we might be really onto something here, or more to the point, maybe God wants us or is helping us clarify some things that are very important for the life of our church. And so we left that conference a couple months ago with two new goals, or with new goals, one of which, in the next six months, as a congregation, we wanted to move from being fuzzy about our vision and values to firm. And so that's what we're going to start this morning. For the next three weeks, our sermons are going to be about becoming generous, joyful, and just as people of God. This is who God is shaping us all to be. And last week, Lindsay Watson, Susan Gillespie, they reported on their very recent trip to the uh, Dominican, or Dominican, the DRC, uh, which now I'm drawing a blank, Democratic Republic of the Congo. 
and all the work that's being done there to bring clean water, to um, help build schools and rebuild the economy and healthcare systems. I mean, it's pretty dramatic. That's one of the most remote and also impoverished areas in the entire world. And so over the last years, uh, the Covenant Church and the denomination and World Vision have been working there. We've been a part of that. It's pretty exciting and encouraging. And our church has been so generous, so committed. And they framed it in this uh, Bible passage from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. We'll put it on the screen for you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And so they zeroed in on that phrase, immeasurably more. When God is with us, or rather when we're with God, the impact is immeasurably more than when we are doing this on our own. And they challenged us to use the talents God had given us and to put them to work for his kingdom. It was fantastic. So for today, I want to back up a few verses in this passage to verses 16 through 18, where the Apostle Paul is encouraging followers of Jesus with this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Can you do that? Can you grasp how far and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ? It's infinite. It's limitless. Inexhaustible for us. And in God's economy, things like love, mercy, grace, goodness, they're not finite or scarce resources. They're abundant in God's world. And that really challenges our ingrained belief, or maybe it's a worry, really, that there won't quite be enough for us. There's just not quite enough money or time or love or patience or whatever it might be. This is an existential like fear for many of us. And so this challenges us with God. There's always enough. There's always enough. And I want to zero in on the phrase here in this passage, together with all the Lord's holy people. Together with all the Lord's holy people. Who's that? It's you. It's me. It's Christians everywhere, through all time. How does the Apostle Paul describe the Lord's people? He says they're holy. What? Holy, holy people. What does Paul mean by that? Well, the word holy and holiness gets a real bad reputation in our, in our world today. Right? We assume that that means someone who has a little moral supporty, uh, superiority over us, or we, it has connotations of people who are very judgmental. It's hard for us to think really any differently from that kind of mindset. But the irony is that holy is a, very humble word. It requires humility because human beings cannot make themselves holy. Only God can. Holiness isn't something that you yourself can attain. That would be like the opposite of grace. 
You and I are holy because God makes us holy. It's our relationship with him that matters most. And in both Hebrew and Greek, holy speaks of someone or something that's apart or separate or has sacred purpose. So being holy or set apart for God's special purpose doesn't mean that we have to withdraw from the world that God created. No, that would actually be a problem. You know, like as if living here would taint us in some ways. And Christians throughout the years have had, you know, have been challenged by this. You know, like God wants us to separate ourselves from society or from the rest of humanity. No, he does not. How can you love your neighbor if you have no neighbors? Okay? God wants us, wherever you are, it's our relationship with him that sets us apart and gives us a special purpose. God wants to transform us, that the makeup of who we are, our character, our motivation, what makes us tick from the inside out would be transformed by him. And people are going to notice that our outlook, our priorities are different than theirs because God's perspective is much different than our own. God has a mission for us, a special purpose that he's set us apart for. And as we grow in him, we're going to see the world through different eyes and a changed heart. So in scripture, there's many qualities that define God's people in both the Old Testament, also in the New Testament. We could make a really, really long list, a great list, but you know, we have to focus on something, right? And there's three that I'm going to hold out for us to aspire to as a congregation. You already know what they are. Because I believe they're critical for us at this point in time. It's being generous. It's being joyful. And it's being just. And these three values, you're like, Dan, where did you get those? Um, years ago, as a, as a congregation, we were reading through the first five books of the Bible. And, you know, there's Genesis, which is awesome. One of my favorite books in all of Scripture. And there's Exodus. You know, um, maybe half of that is really great, right? And then the latter part of Exodus, if you've ever read it, you know what I mean? I mean, and then there's, there's Leviticus and Numbers and, you know, Deuteronomy. Those are just hard to read. I mean, they're like legal texts. This just lists of regulations and do's and don'ts and things. And, and uh, as we were reading through this, I got this idea, you know, how do you, what are, how, how do you summarize what these are about? And it's clear from the beginning that God has tried. He's always working with people. But he's tried to shape people that are generous, that are joyful, and that are just. And these values overlap and support one another. And I started thinking, what if people noticed us for that? Not because we're boycotting someone or something, or because we're opposed to this, we're in the news for you know, whatever it might be. What if instead they noticed us because of our extravagant generosity, a contagious joy, and our just dealings with the world around us? Maybe that would be a way to embody Christ's presence in our community. In 2017, Reverend Gary Walter, who was president of our, our denomination at the time, he wrote this about the need for generosity as followers of Jesus. He said, Maybe it's a spirit of generosity in the church that holds the greatest promise for witness to the generous love of God in these fragmented 
and divided times. So let's take a deeper look at generosity this morning. You know, being generous is bigger than just what we do with our bank account. It affects all of you. It affects how you give. It affects how you serve. It affects how and who you care for. And when you begin to live generously, it changes your view of the world. It changes your heart. It changes the lives of those around you. And at its core, generosity involves a movement towards others. That's really, 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 really important. It's a movement towards other people. And to, that movement is, is sharing the good gifts that God has given us. It applies to our money. Yes, absolutely. But it applies to so, so much more. We can share our love generously. We can care about people generously. Uh, we can share hope and joy and peace. And here's one that's always a challenge for me, patience. Right? We can let that overflow of movement towards others. We can share our time. You know, an act of service is an act of generosity. Um, just being present with another person or attentive to them. That's a, that's a way that we can embody Christ's presence generously to others. So, so, you know, if you walk away with anything this morning, think about that. Like generosity, generosity is about this movement towards other, others, an overflow of, what, of God's goodness and love. And so this shows in how we treat one another. When you're around generous people, you quickly realize that it's, more, it's about more than just the money. There's a spirit about them that's oriented towards others. Anyone at any time can, you know, do something that's generous. That, that act or action doesn't, doesn't matter. But when, when, you, when you start to establish a pattern of those actions, it does something to you. And people that I've known in my life that are generous, I mean, it doesn't, it, it's like whatever is, there, is theirs is yours, you know? Like they just have this spirit about them. How can I become more like that? When I speak of being generous, I'm talking about this movement towards others. You know, selfishness does just the opposite. It isolates you and me. Living generously connects us to one another. And when we learn to live this way, it's so, so rewarding. Partly because that's how God designed life to work from the beginning. It's a reflection of God himself. God, in fact, made the first movement towards people. I mean, in his desire to share his creation with human beings, for one, but then in the person of Jesus Christ, he literally moved into our neighborhood. He moved towards us. One of the most well-known Bible verses is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave his one and only son, Jesus. That's grace. And Jesus being just like his father, in Ephesians chapter 5, it reminds us that Jesus so loved the church that he gave himself up for it. We always think of church as like a building or an organization, right? Church is a people. It's you and me. It's God's people. He gave himself up for us. That's sacrifice. And it doesn't stop there. For those who follow Christ... The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. 
It's given as a deposit, a store of what's to come. That's literally the, the wording in um, 2 Corinthians, a deposit of what's in store for us. God's Spirit heals and transforms us. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we earn. It just flows from the heart of God. With that dwelling of God's Spirit, he also, he also gives us a gift, right? A spiritual gift, something to share with others, to help build them up and build up the church, the people of God. You know, that's literally, it's charis. It's a grace gift, a grace gift. That's what a spiritual gift is. You are a grace to others. That's really powerful and beautiful. It's meant to be given. You're meant to be given and shared with one another. Generosity is intrinsic to the nature of God himself. And being made in his image, it's at the core of who we are too. We just have to figure out how to polish that off, right? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to be generous? Why is it so hard to give? There could be any number of reasons. One has to do with our motivation. Sometimes it's pretty suspect, isn't it? Or as my daughter would say, it's sus. Your motivation is sus, Dad. Yes, yes it is. Um, earlier I mentioned that generosity affects how we give, how we serve, how we care. It's our finances, it's our time, it's our love. And so often we have this scarcity mindset. I took lots of economics, so I'm very well acquainted, or very well familiar. I can't talk, but I'm familiar with that economic theory, right? Scarcity. We have that mindset. There's not enough. There's not going to be enough time, love, or money for all of us. And so it seeps into our motivation and it becomes a tool for us to, to manipulate others to get what we want. Often we give with strings attached, don't we? We want to be noticed or affirmed. Uh, maybe we give because it's a way that we can influence and control others. Yeah, love those gifts, don't we? Uh, sometimes our, our generosity just is something of an obligation that we feel we have to do. And so with this mindset, our generosity is more of a transaction than it is anything else. What's important for followers of Jesus is for our generosity to reflect God's unconditional love for us. The only way you know, that happens is through grace. That's what generosity is based out of, is God's grace and his unconditional love for us. We want that to motivate and encourage our giving. We want our actions to bear witness to God's lavish, abundant, and sacrificial love for all of us. Maybe that's one reason why the Apostle Paul says God loves a what? A cheerful giver. How can, you, how can you become a cheerful giver? It all starts out of that grace. There's no obligation or manipulation. It's recognizing that we didn't deserve all God has already given us. Jesus tells his disciples at one point, he says, freely you've received, so you freely give. Another reason generosity is so hard is that it's something that's learned. And this might apply to financial generosity more than anything else, but applies across the board. There's always a learning curve when it comes to sharing our finances, time, and love. It might come more naturally for some, especially if it's been modeled for you, but there's always a learning curve. 
So as it relates to being more generous with your finances, there could be some skills, some discipline that you need to acquire, like having a goal, you know, being intentional with your money. Uh, that's what those pledge cards were about a month ago. Uh, skills like following a budget. Oh, I hate to hear that word this time of year, don't we? Or becoming more disciplined with your spending. Those could be skills that we need to sharpen. Maybe we need to build in bigger margins. We talk about this as a church. You know, if you're maxed out in your you know, financial life or in your schedule, it's real hard to find any space for, you know, new things, isn't it? So the first step is to build in bigger margins into your financial life and into your schedule so that when opportunities arrive, you're able to give, you're able to serve. Really, really, really important. Being maxed out, I think, plays into our scarcity mindset um, maybe more than anything else. That whole idea that there's just not enough. Generosity flows when we allow ourselves to be filled with the abundant goodness of God. And that kind of giving and serving isn't possible. When we look at what we have, our resources, and we think, oh, there's just not enough. One of the most challenging little things that Jesus said, or one of many for me, comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So like I said, whenever I hear this passage, it challenges me. You know, who am I more like? Am I more like the rich people safely giving out of their excess? Or the widow who knows God has taken care of me this long, so I'm not holding anything back. It's convicting to me. So what if this year I was more like this widow and less like the others Jesus saw? What if this marked the start of a new mindset for me this year? From one of scarcity, there's never enough, or wondering if God can be trusted, or God is holding out on me, from that kind of mindset to one of abundance, where you know God has faithfully provided enough, enough money, enough time, enough love for me. You know, Jesus invites every single one of us to stop worrying about tomorrow and live in a new way. Is not life more than food, he said, and the body more than clothes? Yeah, we know that. God cares for us. He loves you and me. We can trust him. You know, this week, this uh, message, uh, it was, yeah, I'll just be honest, it was one of those weeks. It's been one of those two weeks. And so I didn't have, a lot of times I, I'm able to kind of think about the message let it percolate a little bit until, you know, I, I have to write it. And there just was no space for anything. You know, when I talk about margins of time, I'm the first one who needs to build that in. And so, I, what am I, I, I going to do with this message? 
And on Tuesday morning, I woke up, and I, no joke, like I had this lyric from one of our Sunday worship songs just in my head. This is the first thing I thought up, I thought of on Tuesday morning. It was, I lost my place. Um, All of you is more than enough for me. It's a Chris Tomlin song. We sang it last week. All of you is more than enough for me. Why is that in my head? This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit telling me, reassuring me that no matter what happened this week, don't be anxious. Trust that you've got the resources, I've got the resources to handle it. And, um, you know, I I found out later that day. So, I I mean, I don't just have a to-do list. I have like a to-do mountain. From Tuesday to Friday, it grew even, which is hard to believe. And I just kept telling myself, like, God is more than enough. On Tuesday, I found out some really, really exciting news about our church, and especially in um, December. You know, this is our year end, and so this is when the fiscal year stops, and we're looking ahead and building the budget right now for this next year, and we have our annual meeting at the end of the month. I mean, there's all this stuff. And so in December, you know, we're kind of hoping for good things, and it was great. It was fantastic. It was like double the amount of giving than we've had in recent years. So thankful. And that was probably like the end of Tuesday, I was thinking, all right, God, you're trying to send me a message. It's more than enough. And then after Tuesday, it felt like it went downhill in so many other areas of my life. And that's the point when you have to go, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to choose instead to trust in God's generosity and his abundant love and care for me, no matter what happens. That's hard to do. But every time you catch yourself doing that little worry in that the, the dance, however that might look for you, say, no, Jesus invites me to believe God is enough. And if we ever want to become people who are generous, joy, well, you think joy can thrive in people who are just anxious all the time? No. And the way that we deal with the anxiety isn't by ignoring it. It's by confronting it head on believing that God is in control and that he is enough for us. Please join me in prayer. Lord, these are the people we want to be. We want to be... It's not just about looking a certain way to an outside world. It's about being a certain way because that's who you've made us to be, God. We want that. That sounds so hopeful. That sounds so freeing. God, what an amazing way to live. So challenge us. Confront us, Lord, with the, the, the ways that we so often allow anxiety and worry to sneak into our financial life, to our scheduled life, to the way that we care and love one another. I mean, it's just everywhere, Lord. Help us to be people who trust and believe that you are enough for us. And may our changed hearts, may may it just show in our daily lives to you, God. We pray this in your powerful name of your son, Jesus.
Well, we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper here. Uh, it's the first Sunday of the month. And this is a time where we get to declare God's presence. Uh, we get to receive his presence in a very profound and real way with one another. And so um, this is for anyone who's decided to make Jesus the leader of their life, you know, who's put him in charge. Um, and if that's you, then you are welcome to this table. Come not because you think you have to or you're obligated to, but because you get to. Come not because this is a, a religious thing that you're just going through the motions. Come because you, you want to taste the presence of the Lord Jesus here this morning. And so as we prepare ourselves uh, for this meal, I invite you to take just a moment of silent prayer and confession to ready your hearts. Please take a moment and do so now.